Right now, we are in a series here at Woven called Living Together. Hashtag Living Together. No, it's not that kind of living together. Rather, we're talking about a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian, circa World War II. He wrote a book called Life Together, which is that famous book about community. And what does community look like? What does community mean? And we set the stage talking through chapter one of this book, Life Together. By the way, there's a a couple of people here. If you'd like a free copy of that book, Life Together, indicate it on your yellow communication card. And we can get you a copy of this book. Because the book is powerful. It's useful, especially as we're going through this series. We want you to be engaged We want to engage you. So you can communicate on your yellow card, I'd like a copy of Life Together, and we'll get you a free copy. So, Life Together, chapter 1, he lays lays out the stage talking about what community really is. And Bonifer, the realist, he says, true community is divested of self-interest. And this is hard for me because I am an oldest sibling. I'm a firstborn child. I'm used to getting everything my way. I'm used to saying, here, I'll give this to you because really it benefits me. Or I will share this because somehow I will get something in return. And Bonifer, he pulls the wool off or, you know, he he completely just, you know, he's a realist. And he says, listen, everything we do is tainted with that self-interest. Community is the process of slowly having all of our Uh, ulterior motives stripped from us. And when we behold the community naked, well, not really naked, but everybody with all of their warts and imperfections, this is my community. That is when we're ready to really be part of a community. When we say, these are my people, and I accept them, that is the path to maturity. That was chapter one. And so he gets us into chapter two, And in chapter 2, he starts saying, once you've discovered community and you've kind of, uh, we've let go, we've been stripped of our ulterior motives and we've accepted whoever's on the premises and said, these are our people, this is my family, warts and all, this is my community. In chapter 2, he gets into, this is what community does together. So, like, you're at my house, right? And we're community, so let's do community stuff. What do we do? What, what, what does community do? And Bonifer in chapter 2, what turns out to be the longest chapter of the book, goes through one by one all of the things, uh, all of the spiritual disciplines that comprise community life. Community life is not just coming together and saying, hey, let's go out and watch a movie. I mean, that's part of it too. Fellowship is important. But it involves spiritual practices, Spiritual disciplines that we undertake together and we build community through these joint disciplines. For example, like church attendance, singing together, eating together, taking communion together. And in particular, today we're going to talk about praying together. Praying together. And prayer is what I'm going to focus on today. Prayer and this love affair that I've had on and off, torrid, torrential love affair I've had with prayer In my years as a Christian, um, the ups and downs of prayer is what I'm going to reflect on today, especially in the community context. Let me just say, last Wednesday, I went to our first Kingdom City prayer meeting, and it was really good. It was really good. It was warm. It was powerful. It was multilingual. 
Um, it was even a little bit uncomfortable for me, which is a good thing. But the thing about prayer is we have to learn how to pray. Sometimes we have to relearn how to pray. We get to a place where we say, prayer, I've got it figured out. I know how to do it. But then we get challenged by people that pray differently. Or maybe we see people praying in a certain way, and, and it's, this, it's this challenging experience. It, it's, it reminds me of this story by Leo Tolstoy. There's actually a short story about this by Leo Tolstoy. And the story goes like this, that a long time ago, in ancient of days, there were three monks. And these three monks, they lived alone on an island. And these monks, they were like ancient. And they lived alone on an island, and their prayer was simple as they were simple. Like they were simple, they had a simple prayer. All they prayed all the time was, we are three You are three, have mercy on us, amen. We are three, three monks. You are three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have mercy on us, amen. And that's all they prayed. That's how they prayed. We are three, you are three, have mercy on us, amen. And the thing, the crazy thing is that's all they prayed again and again, but sometimes miracles would happen when they prayed like this. Miracles would happen. Miraculous things. But nonetheless, the bishop of the entire region that included the island, he heard about this. And so the bishop said, okay, well, I think we need to do some theological training here. You know, we are three, you are three. Okay, we need to do some theological. Maybe we need to teach them how to pray because you can't, you can't just pray that. So let me go and teach them how to pray. And so the bishop sets sail. He gets on a boat and then he visits them on the island, and they have a wonderful time visiting, and they spend time in instruction, and the bishop teaches them about prayer, about theology, and all this stuff. And upon departure, he's satisfied because good work was done, and the bishop is sailing away. And after he's a few leagues far away, the bishop, satisfied in the good work, looks out, and he sees something strange on the horizon. He says, wait a second. There's a fireball. And he sees this fireball skimming across the surface of the ocean coming towards the ship. And he's getting scared. This is a story by Leo Tolstoy. It's an actual story. This fireball is coming closer. And he's getting scared. And then when he sees the fireball get close enough, he sees the three monks. And the three monks are running on fire on on the surface of the water. And they run up to the side of the ship. And they're still running on top of the water. And they say, Father, we forgot everything you taught us. Will you come back and teach us again? We forgot everything, so come back and teach us again. And the bishop saw this and he replied, forget it. Never mind. Keep doing it the way you were doing it. (laughs) Just keep doing it the way you were doing it before. And I think that this is a beautiful little story because it illustrates that we need to be taught prayer again and again. We modern enlightened individuals who know how to pray. Sometimes we need to go to Wednesday night prayer meeting. Maybe we are the monks that need to teach others how to pray. Or maybe we need to be taught how to pray. All in all, I think the point of the moral of the story is we all need to be taught simple prayers by simple people. Amen? Friends, woven's backbone, woven's circulation, woven's strength, power, 
you know, I know we have a, at least one heart doctor here. It, the blood life of our church is going to be prayer. Revival will come if there is prayer. Or without prayer, revival, we cannot expect revival. And so prayer is a circulatory system. It is, it is, it, it is, it is, it is the experience of prayer, learning to pray, relearning to pray by simple people. This is what we are talking about today. And friends, I love that we are coinciding this with our Wednesday night prayer meetings that are starting up. Because we're learning to pray in community. Yes, you have to practice prayer by yourself. But you also have to pray with others to know what it feels like. Oh, if I could just tell you. When I was in my early 20s, late teens and early 20s, I had a group of friends. These were uh, men and women. But, you know, there were a group of men. And I was particularly proud of this. Because getting guys together to talk about God is like pulling teeth. You know, let alone men gathering to pray. But it was an awesome sight to behold because, you know, there were a bunch of us. There were almost a dozen of us guys. We grew up together, a lot of us. Korean, we were all Korean. This is a Korean church. And what happened is when we went to college, a lot of us went off in different directions. Some of us struggled with our faith. Some of us lost our faith. Some of us had really horrific breakdowns um, with, with, you know, in rate. You know, in relationships, you know, some of us fell apart. But when we came back together in the summer, we found our faith strengthened. And we began to pray together, experiencing revival. I experienced a personal revival. Some of my other friends, I remember watching Jason and Dennis. And I remember coming, seeing these guys come back on fire for Jesus. And in our early 20s, when you had a group of men... Gathering together, not talking about the Texans or the Astros or the Rockets, but saying, well, let's pray. It was an awesome sight to behold. And when we prayed, my goodness, I mean, on Saturday nights, what we would do, I mean, it would, it would, it would freak some of you out, but we would turn off the lights, someone would pick up a guitar, we would sing our throats out, and then we would scream a little bit more in prayer. And we would holler and pray, and we would come out sweaty, tearful, and yet feeling this new strength from the Lord, that was a sight to behold because it was in community. It was people learning to pray together in community. And we went off to conferences and stuff. I remember we went off to this one conference in, in um, Pennsylvania called Oil, Oil Conference in Montrose, Pennsylvania. Um, and and uh, I remember amongst thousands of college students, we just linked arms and we prayed and my goodness, it was, like, it was like an earthquake. It was powerful. And a, no, a good number of us went on into ministry. Those of us that did not um, still are upstanding Christian men to this day. Prayer is revival. Revival is going to start when we pray. Wednesday night prayer meetings. I know I'm advertising here. But that's where it starts. In community. And so today what I'd like to talk about briskly just two headings, is first of all, that we pray. And you can find this in your notes. The first half, that we pray. That we pray at all, is what I'm saying. That we pray. The second heading is what we pray. What do we pray? And that's a big question. I mean, what do I say when I pray? Do I just, well, Jesus, you know, 
Well, where do we start? What do we say? So those are the things we're going to talk about first. That we pray. Secondly, what do we actually say? We begin with this first half, that we pray at all. That we pray at all. And for our text, I'd like to call your attention to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. Now you might think this is an interesting place to preach a sermon about prayer. Jonah. Jonah had been running away from the Lord. He just got swallowed by the fish. And when he's inside the fish, he prays. Again, that we pray at all is miraculous. That we say anything. Listen to the words of Jonah in chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. This is the word of the Lord. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said... I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. You had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows, they passed over me. And so I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. I like Broadway. I like theater. Some of you do as well, I know. That's singable stuff. That's the kind of stuff that you can feel your emotions rise. And from the inside with weeds dripping over your head, inside of a fish, someone is singing. Someone is proclaiming. You see, this is powerful stuff. It's powerful stuff for several reasons. That Jonah prayed is the first heading. That he prayed at all is remarkable. Because oftentimes when I am stressed out or I am in the belly of the fish or I am in trouble, the last thing I want to do is pray. I don't want to pray. It requires too much mental exertion. It requires too much effort. It's like, it's like have you ever been so stressed that all you want to do is sit down in front of the TV and just veg out? Like, Please, I don't want to think. Someone do thinking for me. Think for me. (laughs) The fact that he prayed at all is remarkable. You see, the thing is, when we're stressed out, we think that we need to take it easy. We think that we just need to relax. But you know you're still working. You know your mental exertion. You know, you know, it's like I love this about my laptop. No, I actually I hate it about my laptop. It's like I have to press control, alt, delete, and check the task manager. What are these background processes that are running that are bogging my computer down? And I'm like, kill, 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 and the computer stops working. Right? All these background processes that are working in our mind, when we think we're at rest, we're still working. There's things that are working. Worry. 
is a form of prayer. Stress is a form of prayer. There are background processes in our mind that, are med- that we are meditating on. It's prayer. So actually it behooves us when we are stressed to replace those background processes with something that is more helpful. We do have to exert an effort to pray because otherwise we're praying anyway. If we're not praying, we're still praying. We're always praying, believe me. We're always praying. We're always meditating. The question is on what? Stress, worry. These are forms of prayer. So, that we pray at all, really, is not so much the question as much as the question is, let's change our object of meditation. Let's change our object of obsession. Instead of stress and worry, we meditate on Scripture. We pray God's Word back to Him. You hear that? Bonifer talks about this. Bonifer talks about this. In chapter 2, it is possible to pray God's words back to God. We meditate on Scripture. Sometimes when I travel, I like to meditate on the Psalms. Uh, Actually today, and I'll make this commitment to you, with all of you as my witnesses, that even today at the airport on my way to LAX, right? You have to meditate at LAX, right? I'm going to be meditating actually on Jonah too. I love these words. I'm going to meditate on Jonah too. Or how many of you, when you fly, right, you're sitting and then you hit some turbulence and you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, God help me, God help me, God help me, God help me. I mean, that's prayer too. It's kind of a, you know, a perverse kind of prayer. But instead, when we meditate on God's word, we're praying. Listen, two applications, two fill in the blanks. Under this first heading that we pray. If you're inside of the belly of the whale, the proverbial whale, if you're inside of the fish, don't struggle. Don't struggle to get out. Gotta get out of the fish. Gotta get out of the fish. Because all you know, for all you know, the fish is at the bottom of the ocean. Get out of the fish, you'll drown. It'll be even worse. Don't struggle. Stop struggling. Stop struggling. That's the first piece of practical advice. Stop struggling. The second piece of advice is pray. But how do we pray? Depend on the words. Not on your prayers. That's the thing. We think that our prayers are the thing that saves us. I'm Korean. We pray in Korea. In fact, there's a legend that, you know, it's a... It's a urban myth, right, that there are prayer mountains. There's prayer mountains in Korea. There's prayer mountains where people will just go to spend a night or a couple of nights just praying. And so if it's not like there's even shelter. People would just camp out in front of a tree, grab onto the tree, and all throughout the night you'd hear, you'd hear people screaming out God's name, Chuya, Chuya, over here and there throughout the forest. Because people are grabbing the tree and they're praying and rocking so hard. And the myth is that if you pull the tree out, you rocked hard enough and you pull the tree out, God would answer your prayers. My issue with that is, number one, it's shamanistic. And number two, just because you pull a tree out doesn't mean God has to answer your prayer. 
And number three, the power is not in the prayer. No matter how loud we scream or how, how many tongues we speak or how eloquent we are, understand, the power is not in the prayer. The power is in the words prayed. We're not depending on our ability to pull out trees by their roots. We're not depending on our ability to pull out trees by their roots. We are depending on the words. We're depending on the words. That is where the power lies, on the words that are prayed. Bonifer says it well. Christian prayer takes its stand on the solid ground of the revealed word of God. It has nothing to do with vague, self-seeking vagaries. If I spent one hour praying to God, saying, God, just like, just, just fill me, God. And like, God, I just like, God, you know, just like, fill me. And God, I just want to fill me. <laughs> I mean, it's heartfelt. It's honest. I'm not criticizing that. But we need, I think, we need a deeper bucket. We need a bucket that can access some deeper, deeper things. It's the words, not the prayers itself. You know, C.S. Lewis, I want to read you this quote in his last and great, greatest book, in my opinion, Till We Have Faces. He talks about someone learning how to pray. And she says, only words, words to be led out in battle against other words. I saw well why the gods do not speak to us openly nor let us answer. Because why should they hear the babble that we think we mean? I think that's profound. Because oftentimes we come to prayer not knowing even what we need. And we just say words and say words or we just kind of sputter on. And that's okay, I get that. But the power is not in our sputtering or our just you know, stacking words up on top of each other. The power in prayer is in what is being said. That gets us into our second heading, what we pray. So, what is being said? How do we know what to say, Pastor Wayne? I mean, Pastor Wayne, you're telling us, you know, don't use, I mean, you know, you, you sound kind of like the bishop teaching the monks how to pray. You're trying to you give us more fancy words so what do we exactly pray? What exactly do we pray? What are the words we use, Pastor? And for this, I'd like you to take out your device. And if you could, if, if I may ask, if you could just oblige me on this. If you could take out your device, and I want to walk you through this um, for several reasons. And if you open up your browser, open up your browser, and if you actually go to wovenchurch.org, wovenchurch.org slash news. Or you can click on that. On the top right-hand corner, there's three lines. You'll see a menu open up. And then the page is news. And I'd like you actually all to go there and see this because the more interaction we have with our website, you'll discover there are a lot of really useful tools. A lot of useful tools. So really, I'd like for you forthgoing every Sunday to, to, use, the, to use this. To, to, first thing you do... You know, you can check in on Facebook or to open up our announcements page. First thing you do, open up our announcements page. Okay, so you see our announcements, uh, you know, wovenchurch.org slash news. And then you scroll down, you see September 30th, which is today. 
And these are the announcements for today. Scroll down to the announcement. Um, you know, scroll down the announcements. And at the bottom of today's announcement, the, at the bottom of September 30th's announcement, you'll see text for the week. Text for the week. Just click on that text, Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. And you can see it's kind of cool because it'll open you up directly to our scripture reading. It'll take you directly to Bible Gateway. And that's useful. That's helpful. And what you'll see when you open Bible Gateway, you'll see our passage, Jonah chapter 2. And what I want you to take notice of in particular in this reading, in our reading for today, is what's at the bottom of Jonah chapter 2. At the bottom of our passage for today, you will see footnotes. Now, do you also see cross-references? If you don't see cross-references, you might just have to toggle that in Bible Gateway. But the point I want to make is if you're able to see both the footnotes and the cross-references, you're going to see something interesting about what we've just read, about these nine verses that we've just read today. So toggle cross-references on. What do you notice about the cross-references for nine verses of Jonah? First of all, you'll notice that there are a lot of cross-references. And you might also notice that a lot of them come from where? What book? Anybody know? The Psalms. In other words, Jonah and the Blue Whales is not an original band. They're a cover band. They write no original material. You get that? Jonah's song, nothing original about it. It's all copied. It's all derivative. It's all unoriginal. It all comes from the Psalms. Well, that's cheating. That's cheating. You can't use someone else's words to pray. Why not? Why not? Why can't you use someone else's words to pray? Well, because we have to be authentic. We have to, we have to use my own voice. I have to just find my own words. Well, you know, that's kind of like, you know, that's kind of like saying high school musical is more romantic than Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. So high school musical is based on Romeo and Juliet. And we say, well, we want to use our own words. <laughs> well, the thing is, one of those is going to be just a little bit more deeper. One of those is going to have access to deeper depths of our souls. Maybe you're feeling like this, because I feel like this time to time, where I'm praying, but I'm like, I feel something deeply. But I can't access that, because I just can't find the words. But then you read something, a psalm, or somebody else's prayer, and you're like, that, 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 that. That's what I've been trying to say. And you take that and you make it your prayer and it becomes powerful. And all of a sudden, your language, your prayer language, which started off, God, just like, fill me. God, just like, fill me. All of a sudden, you're able to say, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, the courage to change the things I can. 
And the wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Who talks like that? Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I'll live happily, reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Who prays like that? Who comes up with language like that? But sometimes we need help. We have deep-rooted spiritual things, but we need a bucket that helps us to find those words, the Psalms. Scripture is that bucket. So when we sing these songs that come from the Psalms, or you read the Psalms, what you do is you take what you've read in the Psalms that morning, and you, te- you keep it, you recite it throughout the day. Man, I don't like the traffic I'm in today. Man, my boss is really getting on my case. All your breakers and billows are passing over me. And, you know, I'm so tired. I feel depressed. I was fainting away, Psalm 142. But I feel better now because, I don't know, somehow, somehow I turned a corner. Lord, you've brought up my life from the pit, Psalm 30. Ultimately, salvation is from the Lord, Psalm 3. These are all Jonah's words copied from the book of Psalms. You and I can do the same thing. We can pray God's word back to him. So in answer to the question, what do we pray? My answer is the same as Dietrich Bonhoeffer's answer. Pray the word. Pray scripture. It's probably the easiest thing to pray. My own children, I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'll respect your boundaries. But we pray together as a family. And when my children were small, they would say, how do I pray? What do I say? So I teach all of you. What do you pray? What do I say? pray, Pray something you just read in the Psalms. Pray scripture. No one's going to laugh at you. In fact, people would be like, ooh, that was good. That was a good prayer. Where did you get that from? The Bible. Just pray God's word back to him. I'm going to wrap up and just, I just want to teach you two things. So some of you, you're still kind of like, I don't know. I still feel like I need to use my own words. I'm not saying don't use your own words. I'm just introducing some more language to supply your words, to fill up your supply of words even more. What is prayer? Two answers. The, ter- first, the first type of prayer that we are most familiar with, most of us in the Protestant church are, are familiar with something called extempore prayer. Extempore prayer. In other words, spontaneous or improvised. Use your own words. So when you are praying the way we do in Protestant church, here, even here at Kingdom City, pray. What that means is just use your own words. One of the biggest obstacles is like, you know, if somebody says, well, pastor, I've never prayed. Well, just use your own words. I'll try. And then we want to kind of impress the pastor. It's my first time praying. And then you put your hands like this. And you say, thou most highest in the heavens almighty. Thou art most kind and holiest of thou's, <laughs> thou is, don't do that, right? Drop the King James, use your own language, and talk to God as if you are talking to a person, a person. Now, after all, 
When we talk about the Trinity, we talk about the three persons of the Trinity. And you can talk to all three persons of the Trinity. Speak as if you're speaking to a, to, to a person. I, I have my theological qualms about saying, just talk to him like you're talking to a friend or you, you know, your lover. Right? Yes and no. Um, but talk to God as if you're talking to a person. A person. That's what extempore prayer is. Use your words, but let them be honest. Let them be honest. I would even venture to say that God is not offended by angry words. God is not offended. We're afraid, myself included, that we might have crossed the line and, and committed the unpardonable sin and blasphemed the Holy Spirit by saying too much to God the Almighty. Yes and no. It takes a lot to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's a teaching for another time. I don't think blaspheming the Holy Spirit has anything to do with words at all. I don't think it has anything to do with words. I think it has everything to do with whether we accept Jesus or not. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is, I think, more about rejection rather than it is about words. In fact, we're more inclined to blaspheme the Holy Spirit by not praying than praying at all. Can I say that again? We are more inclined to blaspheme the Holy Spirit by saying nothing, by not praying. When Jesus talks about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, I really think he's talking more about rejection, not so much about, oh, you went too far. You said, you said the Z word. <laughs> or I don't know, I just, we, have, we have young people here. You said the Q word to God. I quit. I think God can take it. I really think God can take it. God's been around for just a little bit longer than you and I. He's heard a good number of complaints from people that have experienced probably things that have been a little bit more painful than you and I. I think he can take it. I think he can take it. Better to talk to God to as if you're speaking to a person and risk saying the wrong thing than not saying anything at all. That in itself, the rejection of the Holy Spirit, I think, is that's the greater blasphemy. So extempore prayer is using your words. You need to talk to God. You need to find your language. It's just practice. I'm still, after really 30 years, still learning how to do this. Yes, I am. But there's a second type of prayer, and I'm not elevating the second one over the first. Just be aware that these are the two types of prayer. And in being aware of that, you can use both of them interchangeably. You can even enmesh them both. The second type of prayer is set prayer. Set prayer. These are form prayers. They're repeatable. Our friends in the Catholic Church are more accustomed to set prayers. And of course, we might criticize the Catholic Church and say, well, I don't, I don't believe in that. You know, they say, say five Hail Marys and then you're, 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 you're off the hook or something. It's not that simple, friends. The Catholics have a lot more prayers than just that. They have a rich liturgy. Words that they pray, yes, true, they pray a form. But there is power in the repetition of some of these words. Some of you just heard me pray the serenity prayer in its extended format, its long form. That's by Reinhold Niebuhr. Powerful words when you repeat them. Form prayer is not a bad thing. You know why? 
Because when you are in traffic and you're stressed out or your boss has basically just given you an ultimatum or your marriage is strained or something is not right and you're inside the belly of the fish, thinking, coming up with flowery words and phrases of your own. Who wants to be a poet when you're inside the belly of the whale? Who, who wants to be a poet? Better to take out the prayers that you're just familiar with that when you're in the belly of the whale, maybe the easiest thing to say is, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible told me so little ones. You're crying as you're saying that. But it's the only thing you remember. And that's okay. They are weak, but he is strong. And you're crying. Because these are childhood songs, childhood prayers, praise songs. That somehow... Miraculously, I don't know how many of you know this experience. I know this, that when you're not in a good place or you're angry and you're driving and you're like, I'm going to chase this guy down and I'm really going to give him a piece of my mind. I'm going to cut him off. And in the meantime, you're hearing and you're saying, this is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. No, not by cutting people off, but by praise. Or I'm singing praise songs. For some reason, praise songs are playing in my ears. That's God's gift. Form prayer. Form prayer is not a bad thing. You've memorized the lyrics. You know the psalm. Just repeat it. That's okay. We think prayer is something that we have to exert and just do in the moment. Yes and no. Yes and no. We can allow the power of those words, Jesus loves me, this I know. We can allow the power of of the psalms to, to speak on their own. They're powerful enough to affect change in our lives. It's not just the Psalms. Mark chapter 9, great prayer. I prayed a lot in college when I didn't know what to say. I believe. Help my unbelief. Isn't that good? I believe. I'm trying to believe Jesus. I, I really am. All the evidence is telling me I shouldn't. There's no reason for me to believe. But really, help me, help me, help me with my unbelief you got to convince me here, God, because I'm, I'm trying everything I can to believe. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Now, here's another good one. Luke 22. Thy will, not mine, be done. Thy will, not mine, be done. Which I, I, you know. <laughs> I'm a big baby. Sometimes I need to pray that a hundred times a day. Thy will, not mine, be done. Matthew 27. My God, why have you forsaken me? It's a little heavy. Luke 18. Here's a famous one. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I don't know what else to say. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Oops. Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That verse is so famous that going back 2,000 years, people have prayed that prayer. The prayer, I think that's the prayer of Bartimaeus, the famous prayer of Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus crying out by the side of the road, I want to say, what do you want? What do you want? I hear you. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Well, is it Bartimaeus? I, I could be corrected on this. Maybe he says, I just want to see which is, that's a prayer too. I want to see. Lord, I want to see. Okay, you get the point. You get the point. So as we're wrapping up, I want to practice this actually. 
And so, Ryan, if you can just pull up Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 to 9 again on the screen. And in conclusion, let me just reiterate, once again, you have your words, extempore prayers, but you also have words from the Bible. In practice now, and we can even dim the lights. Let's make it kind of a meditative, quiet atmosphere. The worship team can come back up. As the music plays, as you see the words of Jonah, which really are the words of Scripture, the words of Psalms, as you see them on the screen, practice both. Your own words mixed in with the form, with the words of Scripture. Practice taking the words of Scripture, praying them, but also combining them with your own words. And let's see. Let's see if that takes your prayer life into a quantum leap to the next level. Or let's see if you run up to me in a ball of fire and you say you forgot everything and then I'm just going to tell you, just do, do, do it your old way. That was better. <laughs> do it your old way. But let's try this. Ryan, cycle through that. Let's try this. I mean, you know, just look at this. Next verse, Ryan. Lord, Lord, I'm in a fix. I'm in a place. And I could use, Lord Jesus, I'm using my own words. Jesus, help me. I'm feeling confused right now. I'm calling out of my distress. I don't feel safe in the place that I'm in right now. So I'm calling out from the deep, from the heart of the seas. And Jesus, I'm just feeling like it's just washing over me. This waves, these waves after waves. I can't seem to get back up for air. I feel like I'm expelled from your sight. But I'm going to keep looking to your holy temple. I won't give up, Lord. Tomorrow morning I'm going back to work or after church I'm leaving this place. But I will continue to look toward your holy temple because you are the one that brings my life up from the pit. And so at this time, as the music quietly prays, I'm sorry, plays, you pray. You pray your words. You pray the words of the Bible. Go ahead and practice that a bit on your own.
Lord, those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies. Lord, keep my attention on you, focused on you today, all throughout the day. May I practice the presence of God. I, on the other hand, I'm going to offer sacrifices to you all day long. At George Bush Airport, all the way to LAX, with songs of praise, I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Lord Jesus, you are good. You are so good. I, I'm sorry for all the times that I fail to see your goodness, that I make my anger, I make my resentment, I make my frustration the front and center thing. And I'm focused on it. I can almost see myself looking at it, Jesus, as if it's a thing. I'm frustrated right now. And the more I look at it, the more I become it. I'm meditating on all the wrong stuff. Lord, reprogram my mind with praise, with songs of praise. Reprogram my mind, I pray.